morning. Deuteronomy chapter 30, the first 10 verses. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord, and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you to do. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. And even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that he promised to your ancestors, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all those, these curses on your enemies who hate you and who persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. And then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb and in the young of your livestock and in the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your ancestors if you obey the word of the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and to turn to the Lord your God with your whole heart and with all your soul. Amen. 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 Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Yes. So my title I was given to preach on is called The Circumcision of the Heart. And I decided, well, let me do a bit of and circumcision. And I, as I was, you know, just looking at different sources, I thought, this is definitely not my favorite topic. <laughs> anyway, it's worth knowing it's so important that, you know, circumcision is mentioned close to 100 times in the Bible, in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Circumcision is mentioned for the first time um, in, in the Holy Bible, the Old Testament, in Genesis 17, and it's a really, it, it's, it's, a, it's a chapter that's quite long, but I thought it's so important, so many important points occurred in Genesis 17 that I felt I must read most of it. So when Abraham was 99 years old, I remember, God appeared Abraham in Genesis 12 for the first time, that's when we see God saying to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, etc., etc. And what stands out to me in Genesis 12 is the word I. It's as Paul just said, it's God who's doing it. He is the initiator. He is the author. Yes, of course, we need to respond. And then in Genesis 17 again, so the first time when God speaks to Abraham, scholars think that he was probably 
probably around 75 years old. In Genesis 17, Abraham is 99 years old. Okay, this is 24 years later. Sometimes the promises of God do not appear overnight. Okay, we need to wait. So when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, again, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. The eyes again have it. Then I, it's God doing it. I will make my covenant between me and you. And the greatly increase your numbers. So Abraham fell face down. God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations, etc., etc. But then I'll, I'll leave out part that then God said to him, Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you for the generations to come. I quite like that interplay between I and letting you know that I am the one who's doing it. I am the author. I am the initiator, but there's something that you need to do. Yeah? This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign. It's not the covenant, it's the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or born with money. This was for the slaves as well. No, God is no respect of person. He wants to say to me, everyone. And I love this part. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. My covenant in your flesh. And I believe that from the beginning, the Lord wanted to establish that he was very interested in dealing with the flesh, the flesh. I see so many um, parallels between what happens between God and Abraham and what happens between us and, you know, and, and with our salvation. We know that there is no way in which we can boast about being Christians. Even my desire to become a Christian, to be saved, it was God. Because Jesus said, this is what Jesus says, Jesus says, no one can come to me except the Father who sent me draws him. I mean, the only reason why I'm a Christian is because of the initiator, the author. And Jesus also says, no one comes to the Father except by me. Whatever relationship I have with God, the initiator and the author, it's always God. But God requires a response from me. Because just as in the Old, the, the Old Testament, Jesus says, but Peter says, repent and be baptized. And Jesus told us his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we see right away that, yes, there is a covenant, there is a relationship, but we're not equals. The powerful one, the initiator, the author of our faith, it's always God. And then we follow. I think that's exciting, you know. I, I can't boast about anything, guys. I can't. There is no basis for boasting. Everything.
thing boils down to the goodness and the love and the faithfulness of God. Amen? Amen. So, the, the, I would just need you to get that the covenant, it was an outward physical sign of the eternal covenant between God and his Jewish people. Baptism. We had two baptisms last week. You, 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 you weren't saved then, you were saved before, but that was your outward sign. It was an outward sign, yes. Will I am following Jesus. Now, covenants, covenants cannot be sustained or maintained unless there is faithfulness. Okay? So, I know, for example, when I'm discussing this, I know, um, we know two couples, and in, in both cases, they are the, you know, married women. One case, her husband was unfaithful to her time and time again. It traumatized the family. The daughters, we say, God, please don't go again. He came and went, came and went. It absolutely traumatized the family. And after years of wandering, moving, causing his family, utter distress and pain, during that time, the wife became a Christian. Then, after many years, the husband comes back and says, I'm, I'm done with that. And I know this family personally. People will say to her, do not take him back. After what he's put you through, do not take him back. She decided that she would welcome her husband back. Now, please listen to me. I am not saying if you are in a relationship where your husband or wife is being a dull person, you should take the person back. That's not what I'm saying at all. Jesus makes it very clear that if there's adultery, then you have good grounds to say, or what? Yeah? So I'm not saying that, but I know this family, and I know this person who decided, yes, I'm going to have him back. And this, is, this happened probably like three decades ago. They're still married. She's still a Christian. He doesn't go to church still. But I see the man changing bit by bit. And there is so much light in their relationship. And I was thinking about Christ and the church. And we also know another couple, this time the husband is a pastor, and he too had been back and forth, back and forth relationships. And the wife said, okay, I'm going to have you back. I think of Christ and the church. I think of, you know, what happens in the Old Testament. We just went through the book of Judges. How many times the book of Judges starts with, and the people of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. How many times God's people were strained? How many times, even in my life, I'm not committing adultery physically, but there are times when I just do rubbish. And God is faithful. The only reason why this covenant between God and his people can continue it's because there's one person who is always faithful. And even the Bible says that if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. It's all, yeah, so you see, it's all about him. It's all, it's all about him. It's amazing. And we cannot have, you know, in, 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 in Revelation, Jesus is described as faithful and true. That is his character. He's going to stick with us. And you cannot have faithfulness without forgiveness. You see? So they go hand in hand. You can't have the covenant lasting without faithfulness. 
and we can't have faithfulness without forgiveness. And sometimes relationships, not all the time, sometimes relationships break down because one or both people just begins to forget. Sometimes marriages, I'm not saying all the time, or even relationships with family members, they break down. Somebody decides, I'm not going to forgive, I've had enough. And that's why we need to keep forgiving each other as brothers and sisters. The day I decide, you know what, we live X, Y, and Z to me, and that's it. That's the beginning of the end of the relationship. We need to keep forgiving each other. Now, could you please bring up the first slide? Thank you. The, the, the chapter that um, Brenda just read starts with, after all these things happen. And we are in a very privileged position reading the scriptures. Because these things that Moses was referring to, he was talking about the blessings and the curses. Yeah, curses. God had taught his people from early on that actions have consequences. Most people know Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and the curses. If you do X, Y, Z, such and such will happen. If you don't, then these things will happen. But what I find amazing is that God knew, he knew before the Israelites entered the promised land that they were going to be unfaithful to him. God knew, it was, it didn't come as a surprise. God, Moses prophesied everything that was going to happen. And God, being the big prophet God he was, he didn't say, well, you know what, you guys are going to mess up. I'm not even going to let you enter the promised land. He still gave them promise. Now, to me, that is the embodiment of faithfulness. We know that these people are going to mess up, but I'm still going to give them the promise. And they did. But what I I, I love the history of Israel because when I I don't I mean I'm not a scholar at all, but when I think about the history of Israel, what stands out to me. Is the faithfulness of God. So God knew that they were going to mess up, but He got them into the promised land and He also established them. And Israel, as you can see on the map on the left, they were surrounded by enemies from the beginning. First of all, they had to go and fight in Canaan and they had to oust these enemies. But even after they became established, they were surrounded by enemies. So in Psalm 83, I'm not going to read it. The psalmist is saying, God, look, look at these enemies around me, and they want to get rid of me. They're saying, you know, let us wipe out the inheritance. Let's get them out of the land. Ammon, Philistia, um, Moab, just not tired. You know, all these nations surrounding Israel. But you see, God had spoken, and God had said, I will give you this land. And because God had spoken, it was his word, none of those nations, they could not uproot Israel until God decided, until God decided there's sin in this land after about 500 years and the Assyrians drove them out. And then the Babylon, the Babylonians, you know, they, they were exiled from Babylon. But that was only because of the judgment. But the word of God came to pass. And no one can wipe them out of that land. Today, if you look at the map of Israel, look at the map at the right. Israel is a tiny speck. 
faith, and they are surrounded by massive enemies. They, those are all, do you realize those are all, you know, these are, these are Muslims. Now, I'm not preaching, I'm not making a political statement. I'm making a spiritual statement. I'm not saying that Islam is always right. Look at that. How could it be that against all the odds, Israel again became a state in 1948? And there are all these people who want to wipe them out. And they're powerful. These people have money, many of them. Israel is still standing. Israel is still established. Because God spoke a word and he is faithful. No one can wipe them out. No one can destabilize them. And you know what the amazing thing is? Many Israelites, only 2% of Israelites, people in Israel are Christians. They are not even being faithful to God. They rejected Jesus. And in a recent survey, only 63% of Israelites said that they believe in God alone. In God. These are not people who are doing what they're supposed to do, but God spoke a word to Abraham and God is faithful. Can I please bring up the next slide? The second one. Look at this. And I thought that we as a body, we were like this, we're like Israel. We live in a world where we're surrounded by threat. There's so many things that approach in our lives. Some of you may be struggling with some of these things. But God has spoken a word over our lives. God has said, I, who have begun a good work in you, I will be faithful to complete it. Are you struggling with fear? Are you struggling, struggling with depression? What about shame, something that someone you did or someone did to you? What about humiliation? So maybe some of these things have entered in your life, but God says, he says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Okay? In the same way in which God has been able to reestablish Israel and keep Israel, God is able to establish you, keep you rooted and grounded, and keep you from all these fearful predators and threats. Since COVID, so many people, older people, younger people, have been, there's been an increase in mental health issues. And I will be honest, you know, I've been a Christian for decades. And I remember the first week of lockdown. And, you know, at first we were praying yes, Lord, we heard there were 28 deaths, and we're like, okay, Lord, in the name of Jesus, there wouldn't be any more deaths. And then the numbers kept rising and rising. And I remember the first week. And as, in, as I was reading the news, I started to feel very, very insecure and even fearful. And what made things worse, you know, I really shouldn't be on social media with I'm reading all the nonsense. There was this, I don't know if some of you remember, there was this, um, some, someone who said they, they, they were all these, um, I don't know if you call them conspiracy, conspiracy theories, never know what's right or who's telling the truth, but they were saying it was because of. 4G and 5G, you know, that was contributing to COVID. And we lived, we're living then, just opposite a big telephone exchange. Now, I had always been suspicious of that telephone exchange. I, I used to look at it and think, it's this big building, and I, I never see anybody entering. I never see anybody leaving. And I always used to say, but I mean, what's going on there? And then when I read about, you know, the 4G and 5G and 
said, the person in the hospital, the outside of the person, oh my word. And I started to panic. I will be honest. I started. And I remember when I got in, but I felt so ill because I just, I was panicking. And the second night I went to bed, I just was feeling ill again because I was so nervous, worried. How is this affecting my children? You know, my house is right opposite this place. Who knows what's going on? I just remember the word of God, and I started to repeat the word of God. I, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. My the bed just melted. It just melted away for the word of God. And I thank God that Neil had the foresight. He said they're going to start a prayer meeting at five o'clock, and it was about taking my mind off what could be and what could be what you know, and and putting my mind on the word of God. And that is the perfect. Perfect medicine for fear, anxiety, and whatever this disease is. And I want to thank God because God is so gracious. I remember around that time, I had this dream. And I, I don't like to share my dreams much, but I just think this was really significant. And in this dream, there was a Middle Eastern man dressed like a he was like he was like a carpenter, and I knew. He was in the house. He had some tools. He was in, the, in our house to fix things. He was very humble. And he came into, at one point, he came into our bedroom while I was in my sort of my tools on the bed. And this person is hanging over me. I very respectful, but I'm thinking, this is a bit too close for comfort. But I just know that that was the Lord, I believe, saying, I am with you even in this time of COVID. And I can testify. Just as um, you just testified that that time of COVID could have been a very stressful time for us, something in our house changed as we started to declare the word of God. And when I woke up from that dream that morning, the first thing I heard was one of my my two boys, two of the boys that got in bed and were squabbling with each other. The first thing I heard was, Oh, I'm really sorry about you know, what I said to you last night. Yes, I, I accept your apology. And it was just like, God is uprooting my family, God is here in COVID. God is with us all the time. And oh my gosh, I'm going to speak so much. But what I want to say more than anything, the word of God is true. You know? God said, we, if we look at the history of Israel in the Bible, those curses came to pass. And the blessings came to pass as well. You know, we're in a very privileged position. We can look back in history and say, what God said happened. But God has said so many wonderful and beautiful things, such as that. I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. Why, why can't we believe that? Why do I have to get all nervous and anxious when God has said time and time again, if you walk, if you go through the waters, you will not drown. If you go through the fire, you will not be burned. Why can't we, why can't I just believe it? Take God at his word. You know? But what I love, moving on, to, to, to the next part, Deuteronomy 36 says, so what, why could God need to circumcise our hearts? Listen to what God says in 36. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, and this is why, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Now who's doing the circumcision again of the heart? God. And he's doing it so that we may love him. I want to say something. Circumcision is about dealing, I believe it's about dealing, it's a covenant, but it's also about dealing with the flesh. 
the flesh stops us from loving God and from loving others. You know what the flesh does? When I'm so consumed with the flesh, I become my God. Either I become very innocent me, or another person, or another creative thing. When the flesh reigns, when the flesh dominates, it's very hard for me to love God. Yeah? It's, and some of us, I, I said this previously, we just have to listen. The, it's not about me. The world does not revolve around you. I have heard people, even in churches, what, people in churches sometimes get upset because they don't like the color of the chair, and they will make a big fuss out of it. And it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous why people get upset. And even myself, you know, you never realize, I never realized how childish I was until my mom was born. I always, honestly, I always used to think, oh, I'm so mature, I am never manipulative, I always get people in their space. But of course, I was, you know, I was single for many years, I lived, you know, with friends, you didn't have to get too, too close. But when you're working closely with someone, then the flesh, I was surprised, it masquerades itself. I just remember in our early years of marriage, we were in our first, or we fell out on our first outfit. But then, in one of, I remember that we were together doing some food, and we just got upset with each other with a prayer of God, change me or change Natalie. Now, what would cause this? Let the Lord take this food. Do you, know you know what the argument was about? We were together in the kitchen preparing a meal. Early night, this vegetables chopped my food. I like my vegetables chopped my food. <laughs> and for that, two adults who've been serving the Lord for years would go down over chopped vegetables. <laughs> well, honestly, I want, I want to give you the next time you get really upset with someone, stop and step back and ask yourself, honestly, do I really need to be this upset? Then another time when I was, I remember a second ago that I was happily pregnant, we were in Edinburgh, and this argument was so intense, we actually stopped walking along the streets, and nobody could have ended up on the newspapers, but there was this, <laughs> there weren't many black people in, in Edinburgh back then, this black woman with this mixed guy, and both of them were there having it out, and think the street, and, I, and, and it's not in, in Edinburgh, what was this one about? I was happy pregnant, we made big plans for this child. Bernard, I want if you must have public conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> but not to me. No, no, we, we, we must not. It's nonsense. Just wash the clothes in normal detergent. And for that. So, guys, all I'm saying is, you know, sometimes, very often, the things that we get upset about with other people, with members of our family, honestly, Step back. Something in the church, honestly, that the color of the chair, the way how very often it's the flesh. And the word says, listen, the words of the flesh are adultery, fornication, and keenness. Many, many of us probably won't have to, you know, this is not in our list, but so yes, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, etc. etc. Much of it is the flesh. It's what I want. If my name is Natalie, and I'm not being facetious, the world teaches us it's all about how you feel, 
So if today I woke, if I woke up this morning and I want to behave that, then that's my right. But that's not what the word of God teaches. God has standards. He is the Lord. He has standards, and it's up to us to follow Him. It's not about how I feel. It's about God. Of course, God cares about how I feel. Of course, God loves me. He loves all of us. And when we're down and depressed, of course, He cares. But we just have to learn that the world does not revolve around us. And I just want to say something really quickly. If you, as, I mean, and I'm not saying this to make anyone feel bad because I've been there. If you've been struggling with a lot of unforgiveness, a lot of it, 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 it could be a form of idolatry. This is what I mean. Unforgiveness, very often, people are, it's like, this person hurt me, or these people hurt me, and they, they hurt me. I can't remember. They hurt me, they hurt me, they hurt me, they hurt me, they hurt me. And you're so engrossed with blaming me. Oh, I felt so brokenhearted. Oh, it was so horrible. Now, I'm not saying that people don't get hurt badly. Of course. That's part of life. But there comes a time when we, it, it brings us up being, oh my gosh, they did this to me. And they did that to me. 10 years have gone by. 20 years have gone by. That's me making me so I, I'm so engrossed in me. I can't even take my eyes off me and my hurts and look to God. I'm not being wicked or hard or cruel. Yes, I know that it's good with me. But there comes a time. Take your eyes off me. Look to Jesus. And you probably will be here overnight. Sometimes it takes a while. But that is the beginning of your healing. It's the same thing with envy. You know, people get envious of each other for the most ridiculous things. Again, the flesh. You know, or he just came into the church. How come he gets that position? I've been here for two, three years or whatever. Again, guys, I believe that if very often, if you're envious of someone, the person's not the other person, or the problem is not with the other person, it's your problem is about your relationship with God. Because if you really, really believe in your heart that God loves you, He cares about you, He has the best in you, then when you see other people being promoted, it's not going to get you angry and upset, at least not for a long time. Because you believe that my time will come soon too, that God has something good for me. God has something good for me too. God loves me too. So maybe it's happening for them. And and it's not happening to me. I had a friend years ago, and she, I think she was orphaned, and she was always talking about how hard life was, and it was. But she didn't realize how blessed she was, because in spite of all the hard, hardness in her life, she was able to go to the US, get a, a degree. But she would always say, you know, my life is so hard in the US. All I could do is, you know, I just I could just live at McDonald's. And I'm thinking, at least you had food, or I didn't have toilet paper, and I had to depend on getting lots of tissues from McDonald's. And one day I said to her, you know what, you know, you, you do, there are blessings in your life. Yes, things could be worse. And she turned on me and she said, Matthew, why are you always telling me this? Why don't you tell me that I could be like Princess Diana? And in that, at that time, Princess Diana had just got married and everybody thought, oh, Princess Diana, what a life. She didn't know what was in store for Princess Diana. And sometimes we are jealous and envious of people. You don't know what that person went through. You don't know what that person is going through. You don't know what that person is going to go through in the future. Guys, please, we don't need to be envious of others. God loves you just as much as he loves the other person. The fact that this person lives in a, I don't know, palace, and you live in a, a, a shed, it doesn't mean that God loves that person more than he loves you. And some of us in our heart of hearts, that's how we see God. And it, it 
Now, as a teacher, I can finish really quickly. They're speaking about circumcision as the circumcised part. And I, and I always like concrete examples. What does a circumcised heart look like? This is where I'm going to end. And I thought immediately about the story of Joseph. I'm not going to spend time you know, revealing anything because we know the story. But I wanted to say that I, I personally, as I reflected on this story, I thought Joseph was not the only one who suffered. You see, if you look at the history of that family, there, there was a lot of very, very hurtful and painful situations in the history of the patriarchs. Listen, you know, we know about Abraham and Sarah. Hagar gets pregnant. There's Shrekha comes into the house. This Hagar gets pregnant. You know, she despised Sarah. That caused conflict between them. Hagar left. Then she came back. And then when her son was 13 or 14, she was kicked out. Now, that, that's not a nice family situation to be in for anyone, I think. And then with Isaac, there's favoritism. Parents, please, do not show favoritism to your children. So Isaac liked one child. Rebecca liked the other child. We see how that panned out. It didn't work out well for anyone. And then Isaac has to, sorry, I think I'm going to be confused. Jacob. Jacob has to run away. So it's Jacob so Jacob needs to be so born. Some you know, one parent favors Jacob, one parent parent favors Esau. Jacob runs away. We know what happens. He ends up marrying somebody he didn't want to marry. Then he gets the wife he wants. And there's so much conflict in that family. Those boys grew up seeing, I would not have, have liked to be there. Those boys grew up seeing their mom in pain. Those six six children. And that entire family situation, it really, really was painful for the children. They grew up in a very dysfunctional sort of setting. They suffered as well. I'm not saying that what they did was right, but I can understand. And then to make things worse, Rachel dies, but she's still the favorite wife because her sons are getting all the favorite treatment. The boys, some of us have grown up in situations like that. We need to forgive. We need to forgive our siblings. It wasn't really your siblings' fault. You need to forgive your parents. What they did, they didn't just do it to Joseph, they did it to their dad. Because of all the pain and hurt that they're going through. But I saw a protagonist here, I don't know who it was, another protagonist. I thought of Judah. Right after um, Joseph is in Potiphar's house, the Lord says in the, in the, in the next chapter, he tells us a short, we, we have a, a chapter dedicated to Judah. He leaves, maybe because he couldn't stand the guilt, I don't know. Don't run away from situations. Please, there's situations where the Lord says, stay. If you run, you keep running. But he leaves, he gets married to a Canaanite woman. He knows how his, grandpa, how his grandparents felt about Canaanites. He has three sons. Two of them are killed by the Lord, they're killed by the Lord. Then his wife dies. I mean, this is a man who, I think, he, his life must have been full of so much pain and hardship. And then, without knowing, he goes and he sleeps with his daughter-in-law and gets him pregnant with twins. So you have, growing up in this functional household, you have all the pain, all the hardship, and now you have grief, and now you have 
assures us that we can relate to that. But it says that the Lord will, He will circumcise our, our hearts. And I believe that part of that circumcision happens as we go through these different hardships in life. I'm not saying that God causes it, but there's something that happens to the heart as we go through those hardships. Something beautiful happens in the midst of all that pain and shame and loss and grief and humiliation. And how do we know that Judah was a changed man? Because at the end, as Judah says, I cannot go back to my father without my brother Benjamin. Even though he was probably thinking, but well, that doesn't get this. Simeon had been in prison, and it didn't he, um, the, the dad didn't seem to care that much that Simeon had been in prison. But when it comes to Benjamin again, the favorite children of, 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 of Rachel, you know, that's when he makes a big fuss. He could have still been indifferent. But when God deals with us, we are able to forgive. Even those who cause us pain, we're able to bless the favorite one without bitterness. And this is what I see in Jesus' life. And I, I admire him. And I read, I was reading part of what Jesus, what, what Jesus said. And it reminded me, it reminded me of Christ in the garden. Every time I read this, listen to what it says. Your servant guaranteed the voice safety to my father. He's talking to Joseph. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave and let the boy return with his brothers. Is this, this is not Christ like? Let me take the blame and let the others go free. Even though I was the one sinned against as well, right? let me take the blame and let the others go free. Guys, it's exciting. It's exciting. I, if I could have spoken to very sick, and, and I was prophetic, I said, Judah, you don't have to be bitter ever. From the beginning, you didn't have to be bitter. And you know what, Judah? You didn't have to feel that you were loved us. Because from your line, Judah, nobody knew this, from your line, the Christ was Yes, Daddy favored the others, and probably you guys felt like, who? Daddy probably made me feel so bad. And I would say this to many of us too. We don't have, we don't know what God has in the future. Maybe your life has been rubbish. Maybe you've been treated differently like a second class citizen. But we don't we don't know what God has in the future. We don't have to be bitter. We don't have to be envious. Yeah? Because the God who promised is faithful. And I love, I've been getting really excited about one thing. You know what Paul says when he's when he's in change? In change, he said, the word of God is not bound. The word of, no, I might be bound up. I might be the mess. The word of God is not bound. There's a word that God has spoken over my life and over your life. And it is a word. It will not return to him void. Amen. Thank you for reminding us that he is the initiator, that we can have confidence in him.
because it is such a contentious issue, I just want to say we, we, there is no required position on Israel in this church, and, and it, is, it is one that people have different opinions on, and uh, so, so um, you know, we, we enjoy uh, having varied opinions on that and still enjoy fellowship together and worshipping together. Um, it'd be great to sing another song, and Sarah, I think Sarah went up there ready to lead us. It'd be great to sing together before we before we do uh, finish our time. If you've got a 